I'm delighted to be joining you all on Noahide Nations and uh, Shalom and uh, I hope you've had a good day so far and I hope our little discussion will make it an even better evening and uh, be stimulating and we'll try to do uh, I'll try my best to do some uh, honor and uh, elucidation to the uh, HaKodesh Baruch Hu, the uh, creator of all worlds. So let me ask you uh, a very basic question and starting out, and that is, can you all hear me okay? Can you uh, give me a little message if barely someone says, well, I'll increase the microphone up a couple of notches. And uh, how is this? Is this any better? I see ABA. It's better. I will make it even one much better. All right. Uh, if it's better but still weak, thank you, Glenn and Michelle. For perfect. Okay. The boss says it's perfect. I mean, the boss down here on the in the United States part of the world. So I always try to be in sync with my moderator. And uh, uh, if there's a problem, uh, you know, type in a message, and we'll do whatever I I can or we can to. Uh, improve it. Right now I'm up near the top of the volume that I've got, but uh, hopefully you can, you can hear me well enough. And uh, the challenge of the eternal one, we could not have uh, chosen a, a more comprehensible, uh, a more all-comprehending, all-encompassing uh, title to begin, and by the uh, the eternal one is just as the name says, uh, eternal. The Ein Sof, he is uh, really the creator of all the worlds. How could we possibly grasp his uh, his nature? Uh, and I guess the answer to that is we can only do so to uh, a limited degree, to the best of our ability. And it's important that we try, that we make our best effort in doing that, because it's, it would seem to be pretty clear that this is just what he wants us to do. And uh, I'm already beginning to answer the first of the five questions you see up there on the whiteboard. Why did he create all the worlds? And I think... Uh, you know, the, perhaps the first answer or par a main part of the answer is he created all the worlds for us to create a context and a full environment for us. The uh, pinnacle or crown, as we're also often called, us human beings, of uh, Hashem's creation of all the worlds. Uh, it occurs... Uh, to me that uh, someone, many people could say, well, but why create so many worlds? Uh, how about just, uh, if you can say just, how about just the solar system? Isn't that quite enough of a creative feat in itself? You know, for those of us who might at times struggle a little bit trying to get supper together uh, or get our errands done downtown. I mean, if you can, if you can create it, uh, a solar system, that's enough of a context for, for creatures who live only on one of the nine, or now they say eight planets in the solar system. Why all those other solar systems? And uh, why the myriads of galaxies? Uh, each one of them composed of myriads of stars. Why do we need this as a context? Why do we need all the worlds? Why did Hashem, who needs nothing, absolutely nothing, uh, why did he create 
this uh, uncountable myriad of worlds. And a large part of the answer to that, I would say, is wonder. For our wonder to stimulate in his prime creation, humbling as that thought is for us to consider, that we <laughs> that we are his prime creation. That's an awesome enough thought uh, for any human being, my goodness. Uh, how wonderful it would be uh, if we could keep remind ourselves uh, of that thought often during every day. Perhaps some of you were wise and fortunate enough to be in the, already have made a habit of doing so. But uh, it so it would seem that a large part of the creation of all the worlds by a, an unfathomable uh, creator who needs nothing was to stimulate in us a sense of wonder, not only for, and not for the sense of wonder in and of itself, although I think this is a sensation very close, very close to the heart of our relation to the eternal one. Wonder and awe is. But, but specifically because in this wonder grows the desire, we being human creatures, with a faculty of reason, because we know the creation is orderly, it's miraculously orderly, every small advance in science for centuries, and especially modern science, reveals to us yet another layer of the uh, miraculous, uh, really immeasurable degree of order uh, built into the universe. So our sense of wonder is uh, constantly stimulated by this multi-level uh, miracle of order is to bring us, is to, to give us a powerful desire, a joyous desire, a childlike desire to know who could possibly have organized something as wondrous, multifaceted, varied and sparkling as the world we live, walk and breathe on and as all the world uh, only a small fraction of which uh, we see when we look up uh, into the sky, especially on a clear uh, night uh, like it is in the Northeast uh, tonight. So he created, he created all the worlds for us, for us, although we may, who knows if we will ever use any more than Earth you know, for, for most practical purposes or anything more than our own little solar system for some, uh, for some technological means that may hopefully uh, enhance and amplify the spiritual and holy uh, aspects of our lives here on Earth. We, there may be no use for them beyond uh, the fact that they are an expression and demonstration of HaKodesh Baruch Hu's generosity, the, uh, the vast and infinite generosity which is intrinsic uh, to his nature, and to the inclination of this vast generosity of Hashem uh, to give us uh, a sense of wonder via the creation, a sense of wonder that will help to draw us close to him, which is uh, close to him, which is why he created us, to be close to him. What a beautiful thought. And also, but uh, one could say, what a paradoxical thought. Could it even be true? If he wanted us to be close to him, to be uniquely and supremely close to him, why create us at all? Why give a separate identity to anything? Why create all the worlds? Why create the solar system in which Earth is one 
of a few planets, why, and so on down the series of all the Havdil, Havdilim, all the separations that result in our own individual life. Why create us if his desire is for an infinitely intimate and close relationship with the creature, creatures who share a fragment of his, his own incomprehensible wisdom and reason uh, and, uh, and his generosity. And I think the reason, the answer to that, or part of the answer to that question uh, that can almost seem mysterious is that he wants a relationship with us. He does not want us close to him in the sense that an infant is literally physically inside the womb of its mother else you know why the creation that we just read about in the past week and perhaps are still studying I myself have been immersed uh, in studying Rambam's very extensive discussion of uh, Bereshis, even the first chapter of Bereshis for the last ten days and uh, probably if I didn't uh, push myself along I, c I would stay there for uh, a few more weeks or months but um, he created us to have a relationship with us and that a relationship with us as we ordinarily use the term relationship we as an individual separate being can choose can choose of our own free will not having to choose and yet can choose to turn ourselves towards the source of our being, to recognize the source of our being, and in recognizing uh, the, the miraculous and infinite source of our being, uh, choose to be close to, uh, to, to know him in that sense, and also uh, seek ways to bind ourselves more and more closely to him, uh, to have a personal relationship. I want to read now, if I can, there's one, one of many uh, beautiful and relevant passages in Pirkei Avot has a particular relevance uh, to the point we've just come to, working our way down from Hashem to us and for us on our way back to Hashem not forgetting that he wants our relationship to coexist with our living a very very full a life on earth as individual human beings and family members and full as full and abundant a human physical life as we uh, are capable of living but in regard to that key a concept that he created us as separate beings because he wants us uniquely close to us in a personal relationship requiring that we recognize and choose him beginning with the recognition you know he is there it's not just chunks of rock and and gases in various concentrations swirling around since uh, uh, you can hardly avoid the expression since God knows when since whatever the uh, astronomers and anthropologists might decide to tell us and that's all there is and we're a very complicated mixture of gas and rocks and, and, and fire and so on no um, that he is there the, the concept of freedom in Pirkei Avot I think this is uh, chapter 3 and it's uh, verses 18, 19, uh, 18 and 19 mainly. I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. This is their citing Proverbs, Mishlei chapter 4, verse 2. But here is the key point. And that, of course, is the Torah, referring to the Torah of Israel. But here's the point 
that speaks to all mankind, it seems to me. The, the key, the central point in Hashem's purpose in creating all the worlds to awaken our wonder and to give us the possibility of choosing to turn to Him. Verse 19. Everything is foreseen, of course, by Hashem, who sees the end from the beginning. Everything is foreseen, yet freedom of choice is given. And the world is judged by grace. That is to say, Hashem, as we know, is infinitely, infinitely merciful and gracious. Barav chesed ve'emes etc., etc., as we're told in his 13 names of mercy. You know, if he treated us as we belonged, even the best of us, uh, heaven help us, uh, to paraphrase Tehillim 130. Uh, freedom of choice is given. Hashem judges us with grace and mercy and loving kindness. He saves us all every day. Every day that we're alive means that we're in the light of his countenance. Every day we're alive means he gives us the light of his countenance because without that light and its daily renewal, we do not survive. Hashem, my God, who could survive? David HaMelech says in Tehillim 130. And yet the key to all this grace and the key to all the precious laws of the Torah, including the seven uh, mitzvot, of the Noahides is freedom of choice. It's right there in the middle of the verse. And uh, this is what Hashem wants. He wants us to choose Him. We are not required to choose Him or turn to Him. And a person can live a by every earthly measure a very happy, successful, and fulfilling life we see it all the time, without noticeably or explicitly turning to Hashem or choosing Him in every way, uh, in, even in any way. And yet this is what He wants. He wants us to turn to Him and to choose Him, uh, like a bridegroom choosing a bride or like a bride choosing a, a, a bridegroom. Either way. Uh, the so freedom freedom of choice is given and freedom really we will see this at every stage of our lessons and you dear people will encounter it and will realize it over and over and over again in your studies of scripture and in your daily lives how absolutely central uh, the fact of human freedom the ability to choose, beginning with the ability to choose to recognize Hashem and His hand, so to speak, His intention in all our works, uh, in uh, everything that came to the world and to humankind uh, from Hashem through the Jewish people. We are free. We are free to know Him. We're free to serve Him. Freedom does not mean boogaloo down Broadway it does not mean do your own thing you know as we've heard ad nauseum for the past 40 years it means freedom to understand who we are and this is very close really to the best part of the American dream this is why America is such a blessed uniquely blessed nation because America recognizes that the orderliness of nature is due to the laws of nature's God and that the freedom that we have through our very carefully designed constitution is meant to produce as much as is humanly possible in a human polity the freedom of choice that Hashem built into creation which is a freedom to serve Him and since I mentioned America very briefly uh, where we're all living this still very blessed nation let me remind us all that, on the, that the seal of America originally was intended to be 
It was originally designed, and it would have been on the back of the dollar bill where that nasty Egyptian pyramid is today, that, that symbol of a, a society built on slave labor and the crushing of those at the bottom. Instead, the, the original seal of America was an oval design in the middle of which was Moshe standing in Yam Suf and a little bit anachronistically holding the, uh, the tablets which we know were not going to be given yet for another 42 or 43 days um, but holding the tablets and the motto running around the oval was resistance to tyranny is obedience to God what that was the original motto of America and in fact that was the motto under which many American colonists went off to fight King George whom they regarded as the modern Pharaoh resistance to tyranny is obedience to God this takes us right back closer to the, uh, to the focus the main focus of our first lesson tonight's lesson which is freedom to and not just freedom to be in the world and to exercise our faculties that's part of our freedom but the origin of our freedom if it's going to be a true freedom that means a freedom that will endure a freedom that will last you know those words and concepts are very closely related in Hebrew uh, being free being true and being lasting, enduring, and eternal, freedom is to recognize the ultimate uh, uh, eternity, the Netzach Yisrael, uh, the creator of all the worlds who exists beyond time, who created time as a byproduct of the rest of his wondrous creation, and who gives us the freedom so that, again, to recap this crucial point so that we, his crown his crown what an ennobling and exhilarating message that is for us to think of we, ourselves we human beings with all our problems, bereavements uh, limitations and difficulties we are created to be the crown of Hashem how by choosing to have a relationship with him, to turn to him consciously, to speak to him, to implore him, to thank him that we're alive, to thank him every day and to bless our children that they should stay in the light of his countenance and, and so should we and, and have him guard and protect us every day and thank, thank him for bringing us awake again every day that he wants us in this way to, to crown him and to know ourselves how can you know ourselves except by fully knowing your soul by knowing your own source where you come from as fully as possible this is how a person uh, can most fully know themselves this is how a person can approach as closely as possible uh, to whatever freedom a human being is possible you have to know where you come from you have to know your source and roots that is you know that that is essential to Judaism acknowledging and honoring your roots your source, your maker the avot uh, the emot uh, and so on that is the honor that the B'nai Noah give to Hashem through the Jewish people recognizing the source of every human being and of all creation how else can you most fully know yourself, be yourself, and truly be free, uh, except by turning to your source? This is why, by the way, to anticipate very briefly, because we're right on the point, uh, the second course that we'll get to in a couple of months, Bezrat Hashem, this is why all the nations of the world are gathered against Jerusalem this is why we have a so-called world community that we know is no commu real community at all that is united in hostility to Israel why? because whatever condition Israel the nation or Israel the state is in the Jewish people are the witnesses of Hashem in the world 
And to whatever degree Israel remains a Jewish state, it's a witness to Hashem. And it's all about the centrality to humanity, the centrality to human experience of remembrance, of honoring, acknowledging our source, HaKodesh Borechu, and of course, this is the last thing that the powers of the world want the people of the world to acknowledge, recognize, or remember. They don't want them to remember anything except yesterday's sound bites. But fortunately, that's not what we're about here tonight. That's, sort of, that's the opposite of what's the Torah about. And that's why the Torah is going to endure after all the chaff and surface turbulence, all the... Uh, slogans and headlines have uh, been washed away like foam on a beach. That's why he created us. So we could know ourselves as his prime creation. So we could be, have the incredible, unimaginable honor of, of becoming his crown by choosing to have a personal relationship to him. It's as simple as saying please Hashem Help me feel better tomorrow. Please, Hashem, bring a little light into my life in this particular way. Uh, we know everything is in your hand. All the powers and mysteries of the earth and the mountain summits are yours. The seas, you perfected them. And on and on and on, from the greatest to the smallest, uh, as we get the beautiful poetic summary in Tehillim 104. Item 2. Uh, up on the whiteboard. A very important question. And to believers, uh, perhaps a puzzling one and a very real question. Given what we've just discussed, given what we, even if partly understand about the Holy One, the, etern the, the Eternal One's generosity, his love, his unimaginable love and generosity, who has everything in himself, everything, everything, to create this universe. Okay, he created it in all its miraculous multiplicity to give us this sense of wonder and to encourage us to turn, us, turn to him. So then why does he risk letting himself be hidden by the very wondrousness and number of his marvelous and intricate works. Why take that risk? We are, after all, we're limited creatures. Uh, we're limited creatures. Uh, our reason is, and is above the angels. It's greater than the angels. Tehillim 8. You made us but slightly less than the angels, and yet you crowned us with soul and splendor. You know, what are the angels, the strong warriors who do his bidding? That's all they are. They follow orders. They're not free. This is why Hashem has honor from us that he can never get from any angel or battalion or army of angels. They exist to do his bidding. We're free. So, but why let us, with, our, with this riskiness that's in our freedom... Uh, take the chance of missing the signposts and of not seeing the forest because of all the beautiful trees, one of which particularly might attract us, uh, the tree that promises us godlike power and knowledge uh, lead us into redesigning the world even better than the designer created it. I think that he did this because he wants us to ask the question that is that he took the risk. Hashem takes a lot of risks for us. And this is why he understands that the world cannot be created unless it's also created with mercy and teshuva because we need both. Uh, Hashem wants us to ask the question that uh, Avraham Avinu asked. Uh, according uh, to the sages. He looked around at all the miraculous multiplicity of the world and he said, all of this uh, LME, 
from who? Which, as they explain, and as some of you may already know, is an anagram for the divine name used in the first chapter of Genesis, the very first book of his word, uh, Elohim. Elami, uh, from, all of this from who? And Abraham made uh, the, uh, the leap, the insightful, uh, and some could say the rational leap. Well, all of this could, uh, all of this with its miraculous order, the order of nature, the order of the stars, the order of the tides, the order of any little inlet in a bay, uh, the order of any little piece of a forest or a backyard. This could only be designed by a creator of all the worlds. No human being, no combination of human beings, not a single one of these amazing heavenly bodies could ever have organized this entire creation of which each and every one of them is a part. So, Hashem took this risk, I believe, the risk that he will be hidden from some of us by his works, and you know this is a serious risk. Think of all the many cultures that worship nature, or the forces of nature, in one way or another. Most of the cultures of the world, from the beginning, have fallen into that error. They worship expressions or symbols of one or more of the four elements which are so powerful, so miraculous, the way they intermingle with each other. Ramban discusses that at, at some length in his commentary on the first chapter of Bereshis. So It's so remarkable. People will tend to worship expressions of the elements uh, that move all of nature. And yet Hashem chose to take the risk because he knew or he hoped anyway Hashem hoped if we can use the expression he desired that some human beings would recognize that there had to be a designer capital D a creator capital C a unifying mind capital M this is language that we use to talk about the Ein Sof this is uh, the limit you know this is the best we can do uh, a mind and a, and a love that would organize all of this for us to live in and that we could get beyond the screen uh, beyond the trees and we could see and love the forest we could see the forest we could recognize the power of the forest and recognize that within the power uh, of the forest the organizing power of the forest is this incomprehensible love and desire and generosity uh, that desires us to choose him. Hashem did not choose uh, Hashem did not take the avot. He did not take Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov by the collar and say listen to me you here I am I am the creator and you turn to me. Got it? You know it was not a memo it was not an order. Hashem chose Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov because they chose Him. Just the way He wants us all to do, to follow in their footsteps. And how does a human being choose Hashem? HaKodesh Baruch Hu? You choose Him at first by acknowledging Him, by recognizing Him amidst the flux and miraculous a variety of nature. Ein od milvado. There is nothing else but him. And uh, all of the everything that we see, know, and feel, amazing it is, it is, and we all know we can get lost inside our own heads, thoughts, memories, plans, etc., for hours at a time, and <laughs> more or less for months at a time. Still, ein od milvado. So he chose the Avot 
because they chose him and his people chose him the children of Israel aka the Jewish people chose him at Har Sinai very explicitly like a single man with a single heart before they understood even anything when they were overwhelmed of course like any human beings would be after 210 years of crushing bondage or not to actually see the sounds to see the blueprint of creation to see the 600,000 or so letters of the Hebrew alphabet and all their combinations and parts to see them shining through burning through the substance of creation how could you not be overwhelmed to, to see the blueprint and the real DNA of creation yet before they could begin to understand everything Hashem says we will do and we will understand so we're still on this answering question two to question two he takes this risk because he wants us to recognize and acknowledge him he chooses the one who chooses him and uh, as you know the name Yehuda the name of Leah's fourth child which made her so to speak like a chariot like the throne of Hashem as she recognized complete and as there so extensive discussions in Jewish literature of the number four as a, as a type of completion so yeah, you know we have it in English even the expression getting, getting squared away it was that idea Leah says as you know in Parsha Toledon now I will acknowledge Hashem or you could also say now I will thank Hashem now I will be grateful to Hashem because in a sense she knew that she was completed and established and founded a house with Yehuda whose name is largely consists of the tetragrammaton as they say uh, as, as theologians say in English and other languages the ineffable the ineffable name uh, plus the Dalit we could talk for a long time about that I can't resist making just one comment that I think is very relevant to our first lesson I know it's certainly relevant to my and other people's lives the Dalit, the letter that is added in to the Tetragrammaton to make the name of Yehuda and to create the Hebrew word that means to acknowledge the essential human act in relation to the Creator the, the basis of our having a personal relationship and a loving relationship with the Master of all worlds the Dalit is the poor man the man who is impoverished and by extension the, the afflicted man and in, when, when you are afflicted Judaism teaches in the very form of its language and in the name by which the children of Israel are known to this day the Jews Yehuda the land that the nations are the area the nations are trying above all to tear away from the children of Israel to tear away from God's portion on earth the very center of his name says that it's the poor man the poor the afflicted person like a parched like a lonely like a widow a lonely woman without a husband like a poor man parched and afflicted whose prayer flies before every other prayer to Hashem right to the throne so to speak before any other prayer to, I'm thinking of specifically Tehillim 102 a prayer of the afflicted man when he swoons and cries out to Hashem that afflicted man is implied in the, in the letter D pronunciation Dalit and yet and this, in our poverty in our affliction in our confusion in our difficulties of every kind we are at the center of the ineffable name of Hashem that reminds us because among other things it's of course an acronym for uh, the, the phrases uh, the Hebrew words which in English are phrases he was and is and he will be the eternal one reminds us that uh, 
the beginning of our personal relationship with him is that we recognize and acknowledge him amidst all the miraculous complexity of, of, of the universe, all the worlds, and all the human difficulties, micro and macrocosmic, up to the geopolitical level with which our world is beset. So every day it is a challenge. Every day Hashem knows that we are challenged. And maybe in some respects, in our times, which are arguably the end of days, those of you who read my writings know I'm trying to understand and explain this all the time for years. In our times, the arguably the end of days, we're more and more challenged, and it's more and more important and saving for us to recognize and acknowledge the presence, the mercy, the generosity, love, and plan of Hashem uh, above, beyond, behind, and even within all the uh, events, including the painful events of our day. Remember the name Yehuda. The name of the, you think people use the word Jew, Judaism, the Jews, all the time. You know what, how the, the word is pronounced in Hebrew, Yehuda. And here we've just briefly reviewed the vitally central uh, and magnificent meaning uh, of this name and the challenge within this name and the promise within this name to us uh, in our various kinds of difficulty. What is the nature of the personal relationship Hashem wants with us? Why does he want it? Why does he want a personal relationship with us? As we would say, as we would think as human beings, you know, it's all we can do. Think, I think from our perspective as a human being, the crown of creation, how far we are above other creatures, but how infinitely far below we are the beloved being who gave us a world and a universe to live, us, to live in, who gave us a neshama, he should, uh, you know, what can we do but bless him every time we think that we have a neshama that he breathed into us and made us a nefesh chaya, Baruch Hashem. As we say in, in American English, consider the alternative. But, you know, why does he want this personal relationship? What's in it for him? as he says uh, in English. We can only understand, I think we've, we've said a lot of this, I've laid a lot of this out already. This is a God, the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Creator, the Eternal One, that the Avot, Avraham, Yitzhak, of Yaakov, and the entire children of Israel brought knowledge of to the world is an incredibly loving, being who wants, desires to have completion via creatures whose love he does not need. He needs nothing. It is all grace. He's gracious beyond to the, our utmost and beyond our, our ability to conceive of graciousness. This is why, as you know, the word chen, grace, and dedication, Hanukkah, arguably in some ways the ultimate Jewish holiday, although the last, very last one ordained by the Rabbanim, because it is built around the kernel of Chain, which is arguably the essence of Hashem. How else could, could this great being, the Ein Sof, want any kind of relationship? from his creatures except for this graciousness that was, is mentioned right in that Perak from Perke Avot uh, that I cited before and that's so connected to freedom. Freedom of choice is given yet the world is judged thank God by grace. It, what's in it for him is that his creatures love him. He creates creatures and they have the freedom to, I, I acknowledge, to recognize him, acknowledge him, 
and even when they do recognize and acknowledge him to turn to him or to forget about him for various periods of times like probably most of us do I certainly do it doesn't help me you know I, I struggle it's a challenge it's a challenge but to, to recognize acknowledge and love him and to as it says in many places in the Hebrew scriptures that our prayer should not be uh, our prayer should not just be recited it should not just be uh, you know a matter of punctilious at the exact moment and every single word in the right order or you got to go back no 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 you know as is stressed in Hasidus you probably know uh, the last few centuries but also Hasidus was not invented by the Baal Shem Tov you know 340 years ago uh, looking in Pirkei Avod again Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says be careful when you're saying the Shema and be careful when you say the Amida but not just that to be careful with the right order and the times be careful when you pray do not I'm quoting now don't regard your prayer as a fixed mechanical task I'll repeat that do not regard your prayer as a fixed mechanical task but as an appeal for mercy and grace before the all present as it is said uh, for he is gracious and full of mercy slow to anger varav chesed etc you know those verses that are repeated in so many places uh, starting with uh, with uh, Shemot chapter 35 I think it is uh, verses 5 through 7 or 34 verses 5 the 13 names of mercy Hashem Hashem God merciful El Rachum Vachanun Erech Apayim Verav Chesed Ve'emes here is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai uh, quoting that in the Pirkei Avot for the purpose of saying your prayer should above all be an appeal for mercy and grace in the presence of the all-present uh, of HaKodesh Baruch Hu, uh, the Eternal One that's what part of what's in it for him he wants to hear this uh, from us he, he so to speak he needs to hear this from us because he loves us how wonderful it would be! How wonderful it is the extent to which we can stay with that idea. Keep that idea present for us in our minds, and it probably, like most other things in our lives, is a matter of discipline. If we can find a way, by speech, by deeds, by thought, by writing, to keep that idea that He wants us to love Him and that He loves us, that He is gracious, that everything is judged by grace in the context of our freedom and he wants us to appeal for his mercy, for grace more and more and more we'll feel that way like somebody who learns how to ride a bicycle and will never forget and will feel that way more and more of the time Amen, Amen <laughs> uh, Amen to that Okay we can at least uh, start to uh, address now a very important and another uh, challenging and relevant question that's part of the challenge of the eternal one uh, to all of us part of the challenge of Hashem every time I say Hashem of course I, may, I, I could be saying the eternal one so if you want human beings us your miraculous crown of creation made but slightly below the angels but endowed with soul and splendor why not make it a little easier for us help us to come close to you by taking a human form so we can recognize you and make it easier for us to have a personal relationship um, with you if, that, if that's what you want above all and we we've agreed for now that this is what Hashem wants he wants us to be close 
with him in just the way in our prayer and our crying out to him at all times, not only at the fixed times, like Rabbi Shimon says, as recorded in the Mishnah, the famous Mishnah, uh, Pirkei Avot. As we know, there is a very, very, very large, numerous religion that has a very close but very complicated and for a long time very nasty relationship with the Jewish people, with the people of Yehuda, who begin with the acknowledgement, gratitude, and praise of Hashem, the people Hashem created to declare His praise, who, following the Greeks, tragically, for our civilization, decided, not as long ago as many people think, only in 452 CE, I'll repeat that, only in 452 CE did uh, at the Second Church Council in Chalcedon in Asia Minor cross the, the water from uh, Byzantium did the church decide that their God was both a God and a human being and, and he had a human form. So why not? Why not, say, why not have that from the beginning with the Jewish people? Then we wouldn't have had that amazingly uh, complicated uh, intervention in history. The dominion of Edom. The, 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 you know, in the, the discussion on Yaakov's dream when he sees the fourth angel, the angel of Esau, climbing and climbing and disappearing into the heavens. He's climbing so high and he's terrified. Hashem, when will this end? He's climbing up high above the eagles. And uh, sometimes it can feel that way. Certainly, you, you take a look at the daily paper, it's, it's there any time for the last hundred years, certainly. Why not take a personal form to help us get a personal, a human form to help us have a personal relationship with the Ain Souls? Why? One reason. To prevent us, very important, to prevent us from thinking that HaKodesh Baruch Hu is subject to the laws that bind every human being and all of creation. Hashem is not created. Hashem is the creator. This, this is the first reason. This is the first. This, this is the original Reishit. You know, the first things. The beginnings of wisdom. Uh, as it says in Tehillim 119 and many other places, and some of you know, in the definitive Targum, the translation of the Chumash, into Aramaic by Onkelos almost 2,000 years ago he creates, creates Bereshis with wisdom with the first principles Hashem created the heavens and the earth and the first principle is that Hashem the is the creator it's not like in Greek or Indian theology or many many other theologies we could run through that, uh, that God or one of the gods is a creation of the earth or of the sky or of water or of some kind of active generation. No, no. God forbid. Uh, we should not go down that road. Hashem is not subject to the laws that bind every human life. This goes to the heart of our ability to have a personal relationship with Hashem. The fact that He does not and must not be conceived of having a human form uh, because how can we choose how can we demonstrate our love and wonder of choosing to turn to the source of all creation to the miraculous uh, source, to the uh, incomprehensible source that brought the miracles of nature into being if we, to the extent that we think he's part of nature and if you begin to think he's part of nature the next step that he can, you know, see that in some he has a beginning, then you, well, if he has a beginning, he must have an end. Because everything that has a beginning has a middle and an end. And maybe he's conceived. And if he's conceived, he's born. And if he's born, then he'll die. No. The one, the unborn, the undying, does not have a father and a mother. He's infinite and eternal. He also is not contingent. He doesn't depend on anything or anyone. This is part of the nature that he wants us to recognize, part of the miracle of our turning to him. It's almost like the, the most miraculous puzzle of all. He's not contingent. 
He's not secondary. Uh, he is totally worthy of our awe and devotion. He, he requires nothing from us. He desires from us that we turn to him. He desires recognition. He desires our prayer. He wants to hear us call out for ourselves, not for him. He needs nothing. And if you gave him a human form or some kind of a form, you know, an eagle, an owl, you know, think of the Egyptians. Think of so many col uh, cultures. You gave him some kind of a, a physical form, uh, then it's, you know, we're worshiping created beings, contingent beings, dependent beings, and pretty soon we'll be worshiping projections of our own emotions. We'll be projecting our own feelings onto the Ein Sof and imagining that he has uh, feelings and capabilities like we do. That he can be a friend to us the way Ray Peterson can be my friend or my next door neighbor uh, Peg can be my friend or one of my cousins can be my friend. We use those words to help us uh, contextualize our relationship with him. But we have to be aware of the difference. It's a radical difference. It goes to the first things to the reishi. Uh, you can uh, only metaphorically can we love and have a love relationship, a relationship of friendship, the relationship of a son to a father or a daughter to a father or to a mother uh, to Hashem. Those are all metaphors to help us think. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of trouble for uh, the 17 or 18 centuries because of some people, mostly Greeks initially, taking uh, metaphor, you know that Hebrew is rich in metaphors, and taking it literally, and then the next thing you know, making statues of the eternal uh, and invisible one, uh, supposedly for a good reason, uh, to help people love him, and 1700 uh, years later, they make movies about who he had affairs and relationships with, as we say in the post-war uh, West. That clearly is not a road that Hashem wants us to walk down. That is the road that Western civilization has been walking down more and more rapidly in the last few centuries, and it's one of the reasons uh, that courses like this, that, that meetings like this become increasingly important. I think it's one of the reasons that the B'nai Noah are emerging into the world in greater knowers numbers and with greater desire intensity and with greater clarity and order connections to Israel and to uh, Rabbani in Israel than ever before because Western civilization is going down a dark dead end road and more and more people are realizing it's dark that way but there's a great light out here a light that was created for us to live in and to turn to and we need to turn to that light I think we're close to the end of our time tonight. Um, we will pick up next week where we've left off. If you have, I hope you've all been able to hear me very well during this time. And if you have any questions you'd like to type up uh, onto the uh, out to the little space, I will try to answer them briefly uh, in the next few minutes. Yes, Adam, Judaism is, of course, uh, close, not only closely associated with Western civilization. I discussed this at some length in my recent book, Israel in the End Times, and in many of my writings. It's a key issue, and I try to teach it in many of my classes. Judaism and the children of Israel are the primary root, we could say the taproot, of Western civilization. But we also have to recognize that like the giant, the colossus of Nebuchadnezzar, the man with the golden head and the silver torso and the bronze and then the iron and the iron feet mixed with clay, Western civilization, here it is, this is the essence of all the problems in Western civilization, I'm giving you in a nutshell, is Western civilization is hybrid 
is just like those ankles and feet of Nebuchadnezzar's Colossus. It's God, it is God, pardon me, but it has the taint of pagan Greek, Egyptian, and also some Mesopotamian theology. Snuck it which all with all of their, you know, human and animal gods uh, grafted in to Judaism that they couldn't yes, mainly because of Hellenism. You could you're welcome, Alan and Eileen. Yeah, in a in a nutshell you could say it's the Hellenistic element which also includes Egyptian elements and other Middle Eastern elements, that Western civilization is this incredibly dynamic uh productive, uh, progressive, but also fissionable, if you know that term from physics. Uh, civilization, fissionable, it's, it's flying apart the more that it grows, because it ha- it's made from the beginning of this unstable mixture of Yaakov and Yava. And you all know that oil and water, to use a simple expression, and to get back to the Torah, Yaakov and Yavan don't mix. What have, and of course that is expressed in the mixed up western philosophy you could, you could spend many many lifetimes and write many many libraries filled with books parsing out, teasing out the Jewish from the Hellenistic and the other pagan theologies and wisdoms that came in mainly through Hellenism that are in Western philosophy and that have contributed both to the growth and dynamism, but also simultaneous with that growth and dynamism to the heresies, a decay, and affliction of the Jewish people, which is the history of Western civilization. So it is. It is both sparkling bright like Yavan and all his works, but like Yavan and all his works, that brilliant light is really the deepest darkness. This is another way in which Hanukkah, the festival of dedication and rededication and memory, and the festival of the Beit HaMikdash, the center of the Jewish people and all of their activities in the entire in Yisrael Shlema, the the festival that has Chain at its core is the essential one because Hanukkah is that we're coming to and looking forward to we look forward to it all year long is the festival that decisively distinguishes on every level the level of Yeshuot the level of Milchamot Yaakov from Yavan you know that we could talk on that line uh, certainly by itself for weeks and it is tough for us because we live part of our challenge the part of the reason that the challenge of knowing and being close to the eternal one is unique uniquely difficult for people in western yes it's brought with it so many problems Adam and everyone is unique for people in western civilization is because western civilization has a uniquely large component of Judaism is it in it I mean it is rightly called Judeo-Christian civilization the tragedy is that for reasons we were discussing earlier having to do with the nature of Hashem and our ability to have a true and as close as possible relationship with him uh, the fact that a Judeo-Christian civilization is one that in which the branch is constantly attacking its root and as I often have written and said on air, a branch that attacks its root is a branch that will wither and die. So we could talk for, uh, for a whole hour just on that metaphor. A very important one to remember, and I encourage you to teach. Uh, but also to remember that most Americans, and Americans are good, good people, uh, you know, compared to other people, sir, I mean, there is so much good nature still. And I remember what it was like when I was a kid a few decades ago, uh, even though the world was changing already much more than we knew. What a different world it was. I mean, the, the on-the-surface, matter-of-fact, day-in, day-out, trust and decency, courtesy, kindness, 
uh, was just, I mean, that was, those were the distinguishing features of our lives, and it's more so in America than Europe. Many, many people have, have commented on that, and it's because America was always a country that was uniquely close and uniquely welcoming, or at least uniquely not hostile to the Jewish people. That's another course, uh, or a mini-course, uh, right there. So, I am going, that's a lot, that's a lot of material we've gotten into just here as a PS. Uh, it's certainly very important. But let me end by emphasizing, in fact, one key thing. Because Western civilization is this mixture, uh, or this admixture of Yavan to Yaakov, Yaakov, which is its taproot and most of its substance, after all, you know, most Christian ideas Christian ethics and most Christian ideas about the nature of the Holy One are Jewish ideas uh, and Christian ideas about prayer and a personal God and a, pur a purpose to history a redemptive purpose to history and a God who wants to save a God who treasures the, re the uh, penance and repentance like we just had on Yom Kippur which we all know is not just about repentance, but about offerings and about mercy and forgiveness above all. That's the part of Judaism Yavon forgets. But it's uniquely difficult for Christians because of that split. You know, even to the extent that they are good people. Good people who honor their own traditions. And it's a tradition that has a huge amount of Judaism and love of Judaism in it. Or it should. Even their own apostle says so in his book to the Romans but aside from that for them it's in a way the biggest challenge because they're the closest you know but it's almost like so close and yet so far in a way they have the biggest gap the greatest leap to leap over but it's not just a leap of faith and I think what a great uh, what a great blessing and, and what a beautiful blessing and in the common sense of the word, what a mitzvah would be if many, as many as possible people who are Christian or who were born uh, Christian, like most people in America, could listen to this discussion and see uh, how close, uh, step by step, they can be uh, to the God of Israel and whatever, whatever destination they wind up uh, in, that they should bless Israel, like it says, bless Israel and they will be blessed and that means the entire house of Israel uh, as Hashem showed through the, through the mouth of the evil Bilam in Numbers chapters 22-24 through 24, the book of Bamidbar the well known story bless the entire people of Israel are blessed they are the people Hashem created and formed are formed and made so to speak to declare his praise and they are the ones who contain within their very name Yehuda the essence for, for meeting and answering the challenge that the Holy One gives us to have a uniquely uh, personal, close, rewarding relationship with Him in which we can know ourselves most fully. So I will say Shalom, Shalom and I'll look forward to talking with you all next week. Thank you.